like to have you look at this pencil. It's a thing. It's a legal thing, and so are books you might have or the cars you own.、Uh, they're all legal things. The great apes that you'll see behind me—they too are legal things. Now I can, I can do that to a legal thing. I can do whatever I want to my book or my car. These great apes you, you'll see—the the photographs were taken by a man named James. Mollison, who wrote a book called uh, uh, *James and Other Apes*, and he tells in his book how every one, every single one of them, almost every one of them, is an orphan, saw his mother, father die before his eyes. They're legal things. So for centuries, there's been a great legal wall that separates legal things from legal persons. On one hand, legal things are invisible to judges; they don't count in law. They don't have any legal rights. They don't have the capacity for legal rights. They are the slaves. On the other side of that legal wall are the legal persons. Legal persons are very visible to judges. They count in law. They may have many rights. They have the capacity for an infinite number of rights, and they're the masters. Right now, all non-human animals are legal things. All human beings are legal persons. But Being human and being a legal person has never been and is not today synonymous with a legal person. Humans and legal persons are not synonymous. On on the one side, there have been many human beings over the centuries who have been legal things. Slaves were legal things. Women, children, were sometimes legal things. Indeed.、Uh, Great deal of civil rights struggle over the last centuries has been to punch a hole through that wall and begin to feed these human things through the wall and have them become legal persons. But alas, that hole has closed up. Now, on the other side, are legal persons, but they've never only been limited to human beings. There are, for example, there are many legal persons who are not even alive. In the United States, we're aware of the fact that corporations are legal persons. In pre-independence India, a court held that a Hindu idol was a legal person, that a mosque was a legal person. In 2000, the Indian Supreme Court、uh, held that the holy books of the Sikh religion was a legal person. And in 2012, just recently, there was a treaty between the indigenous peoples of New Zealand and the Crown, in which it was agreed that a river was a legal person who owned its own riverbed. Now I read Peter Singer's book in 1980 when I had a full head of lush brown hair, and indeed I was moved by it because I had become a lawyer because I wanted to speak for the voiceless, defend the defenseless, and I'd never realized how voiceless and defenseless the trillions, billions of non-human animals are. And I began to work as an animal protection lawyer, and by 1985 I realized that I was. I was trying to accomplish something that was literally impossible. The reason being that all of my clients, they're all all the animals whose interests I was trying to to defend were legal things. They were invisible. It was not going to work. So I decided that the only thing that was going to work was they had at least some of them had to also be moved through a hole that we could open up again in that wall and begin feeding the appropriate non-human animals through that hole onto the other side of being legal legal persons. Now, at that time, there was very little 
known about or spoken about about truly animal rights, about the idea of having a legal person or legal rights for a non-human animal. And I knew it was going to take a long time. And so in 1985, I figured that it would it would take about 30 years before we'd be able to even begin a strategic litigation, long-term campaign, in order to be able to punch another hole、uh, through through that wall. Turned out that I was pessimistic that、uh, it only took 28. So what the what we had to do in order to to begin was not only to、uh, write. Law review articles and teach classes, write books, but we had to then begin to get down to the nuts and bolts of how you litigate that kind of case. And so, one of the first things we needed to do was figure out what a cause of action was, a legal cause of action. And a legal cause of action is a vehicle that lawyers use to put their arguments in, in front of in front of courts. And it turns out there was a very interesting case that had occurred almost 250 years ago in London called Somerset v. Stewart. Whereby a black slave had used the legal system and had moved from a legal thing to a legal person. I was so interested in it that I eventually wrote wrote an entire book about it. James Somerset was an eight-year-old boy when he was kidnapped from West Africa. He survived the Middle Passage, and he was sold to a Scottish businessman named named Charles Stewart in Virginia. Now, 20 years later, Stewart brought James Somerset to London. And after he got there, he,、uh, James decided he was going to escape. And so, one of the first things he did was to get himself baptized because he wanted to get a set of godparents. Because to an 18th-century slave, they knew that one of the major responsibilities of godfathers was to help you escape. And so, in the fall of 1771, James Somerset had a confrontation with Charles Stewart. We don't know exactly what happened, but then James dropped out of sight. An enraged Charles Stewart then hired slave catchers to canvass the city of London, find him, bring him not back to Charles Stewart, but to a ship, the Anna Mary, that was that was、uh, floating in London Harbour, and he was chained to the deck, and the ship was to set sail for Jamaica, where James was to be sold in the slave markets and be doomed to the three to five years of life that a slave had harvesting sugarcane in Jamaica. Well, now James's godparents swung into action. They approached the most powerful judge, Lord Mansfield, who was who was chief judge of the Court of King's Bench, and they demanded that he issue a common law writ of habeas corpus on behalf of James Somerset. Now, the common law is the kind of law that is, that English-speaking judges can make when they're not cabined in by statutes or constitutions. And a writ of habeas corpus is called the Great Writ, capital G, capital W, and it's meant to protect any of us who are detained against our will. A writ of habeas corpus is issued. The detainer is required to bring the detainee in and give a legally sufficient reason for depriving him of his bodily liberty. Well, Lord Mansfield had to make a decision right off the bat, because if James Somerset was a legal thing, he was not eligible for a writ of habeas corpus. Only if he could be a legal person. So Lord Mansfield decided that he would assume, without deciding, that James Somerset was indeed a legal person. And he issued the writ of habeas corpus, and James's body was brought in by the captain of the ship. There were a series of hearings over the next six months. And on June 22, 1772, Lord Mansfield said that slavery was so odious, and he used the word odious, that the common law would not support it. And he ordered James free. At that moment, James Somerset underwent a legal transubstantiation. 
The free man who walked out of the courtroom looked exactly like the slave who'd walked in. But as far as the law was concerned, there was they had nothing whatsoever in common. Next thing we did is that the Non-Human Rights Project, which I founded, then began to look at what kind of values and principles do we want to do we want to put before the judges? What values and principles did they imbibe with their mother's milk? Do they were they taught in law school? Do they use every day? Do they believe with all their hearts? And we chose liberty and equality. Now, liberty rights—the kind of right to which you're entitled because of how you're put together—and a fundamental, a fundamental liberty right protects a fundamental interest. And the supreme interest, and in, in the common law, are the rights to autonomy and self-determination. Self-determination. So. They are so powerful that in a, com- in a common law country, if you go to a hospital and you refuse life-saving medical treatment, a judge will not order it forced upon you because they will respect your self-determination and your autonomy. Now, an equality right is the kind of right to which you're entitled because you resemble someone else in a relevant way, and there's the rub: relevant way. So, if you if you are that, then because they have the right, you're like them. You're entitled to the right. Now, courts and legislatures draw lines all the time. Some are included, some are excluded, but you have to, at the bare minimum, you must have that. That line has to be a reasonable means to a legitimate end.、And、the Non-Human Rights Project argues that drawing a line in order to enslave an autonomous and self-determining being, like you're seeing behind me, that that's a violation of equality. We then searched for eight, through 80 jurisdictions. It took us seven years to find the jurisdiction that we wanted to begin filing our first suit. We chose the state of New York. Then we decided upon who our plaintiffs are going to be. We decided upon chimpanzees, not just because Jane Goodall was on our board of directors, but because, but because they, Jane and others, had studied chimpanzees intensively for decades. We know the extraordinary cognitive capabilities that they have, and they also resemble the kind that human beings have. And so, we chose ch- chimpanzees, and we began to then canvass the world to find the experts in chimpanzee cognition. We found them in Japan, Sweden, Germany, Scotland, England, and the United States. And amongst them, they wrote a hundred pages of affidavits in which they set out more than forty ways in which their complex cognitive capability, either individually or together, all added up to autonomy and self-determination. Now, these included, for example. That they were conscious, but they're also conscious that they're conscious. They know they have a mind. They know that others have mind. They know they're individuals, and they and that they can live. They understand that they lived yesterday, and they will live tomorrow. They engage in mental time travel. They remember what happened yesterday. They can anticipate tomorrow, which is why it's so terrible to imprison a chimpanzee, especially alone. It's the things that we do to our worst criminals, and we do that to chimpanzees without even thinking about it. They have some kind of moral capacity. When they play economic games with human beings, they'll spontaneously make fair offers, even when they're not required to do so. They're numerate. They understand numbers. They can do some simple math. They can they can engage in language or stay out of the language wars. They can they're involved in intentional and referential communication in which they pay attention to the attitudes of those with whom they are speaking. They have culture. They have a material culture, a social culture. Uh, they they have a symbolic culture. Scientists in the in the Thai forest in the Ivory Coast found chimpanzees who were using these rocks to smash open the incredibly hard hulls of nuts. It takes a long time to learn how to do that. 
And they excavated the area, and they found that this material culture, this way of doing it, these rocks had passed down for at least 4,300 years through 225 chimpanzee generations. So now we needed to find our chimpanzee. Our chimpanzee, we found. First, we found two of them in the state of New York. Both of them would die before we could even get get our suits filed. Then we found Tommy. Tommy was a chimpanzee. You see him behind me. Tommy was a chimpanzee. We found him in that cage. We found him in a small room that was filled with cages, in a larger warehouse structure on a used trailer lot in central New York. We found Kiko, who was partially deaf. Kiko was in the is, was in the back of a cement storefront in Western Massachusetts. And we found Hercules and Leo. They're two young male chimpanzees who are being used for biomedical, anatomical research at Stony Brook. We found them. And so, on the last week of December 2013, the Non-Human Rights Project filed three suits all across the state of New York, using the same common law writ of habeas corpus argument、uh, that had been used with James Somerset. And we demanded that the judges issue writs, these common law writs of habeas corpus. We wanted the chimpanzees out, and we wanted them brought. To save the chimps, a tremendous chimpanzee sanctuary in South Florida, which involves an artificial artificial lake with 12 or 13 islands, there are two or three acres where two dozen chimpanzees live on each of them, and these chimpanzees would then live the life of a chimpanzee with other chimpanzees in an environment that was close to Africa as possible. Now, all all these cases are still going on.、Uh, we have not yet run into our Lord Mansfield. We shall, we shall. This is a long-term strategic litigation campaign. We shall. And to quote Winston Churchill, the way we view our cases is that they're not the end. They're not even the beginning of the end, but they are perhaps the end of the beginning. Thank you.